Hi, everybody. Today I'm talking to Leslie. She grew up in the U.S. in a tight-knit Dominican family. Throughout her life, her parents sent supplies and money back to the DR to support their extended family. But at some point, it began to bother her. And talking about it with her parents was never a real option. Let's get into it. My name is Leslie De Los Santos. I am currently in Santo Domingo. I am born and raised Dominican, but I was, uh, you know, I lived most of my life in the U.S. Growing up, I called my mom Ma 95% of the time, and the other 5% was mom. And my dad, 100% of the time, was Ba. I am the middle child of six. So my dad had two children in DR. And then he had me, and then he had two more with my mom, and then another one in the States. Well, I'm, on my mom's side, I'm the oldest, and I'm den- like I'm pretty much the anchor in there um, because I'm the one with the most knowledge in, I guess, both, both worlds here and the States. I came to live in the U.S. at age four. Uh, my parents immigrated to the US. My mom is partly American. So she had a bit of an easier time, you know, going through the process. And she really just worked from the ground up. She was able to get a job quickly as a teacher. And my father, who worked here in DR as an electrician, was able to get a job at a company pretty easily because he was good. Finances honestly speaking, weren't always the best. Like I knew that we weren't very wealthy, but I never knew to what extent until now that I'm older and I'm actually able to ask questions. But we did grow up um, in poor neighborhoods here in, in South Florida. I remember growing up, we would shop at thrift stores. Um, eating out wasn't really a thing unless it was someone's birthday, like it was a special occasion. I don't remember doing any extracurricular activities up until I was in middle school and they became kind of like free. Uh, when I first found out that they were saving money to send over to family members or like putting things aside um, to send to family members, it really didn't, it didn't bother me because I was like, well, they don't have those resources. So it made, it made sense. It didn't really become a question as to is this something that's necessary? Until I would say I was about 14 or 15 years old when I started realizing that some of the things that we were sending over or some of the money that we were sending over was needed. I never said anything about us, you know, needing what was what was being sent over because I, well, firstly, I had the fear of I would be seen as selfish or I would get in trouble for questioning, you know, my elders or it would be seen as disrespectful. I remember the exact moment I was a freshman in high school. And so I had a laptop to do schoolwork with. And that's really where I did anything I needed to do. And I had, I think it was like one of those uh, Samsung, the smaller Samsung tablets. And I remember. One day my laptop just wasn't there. 
And I was like, okay, all right. And then I can't do anything about that. <laughs> but it was uncomfortable. It was, you know, imagine you're doing, you know, civics work. That's what I remember I was doing. I was doing American civics homework, filling out worksheets on a screen that was a little bit bigger than an iPhone plus screen, you know, this tiny thing. And then a few weeks later, I remember there was like a tension in the house because I, I guess my dad was trying to send over the tablet as well. But it was kind of like, how can you how can you take away that resource from your child here that's using using it, you know, on the daily basis to do schoolwork? Um, my mom objected and she said no, because I need it. The root of my resentment towards him, you know, in retrospect to that was the fact that I felt like my needs as a child um, and my other siblings were not as big of a priority as those back home. I think the biggest lesson I've taken away from the things I experienced was to make sure that before I'm able to give to someone else, I have it for myself. Because if I don't have it for myself, I can't give it to someone else, you know, and not have some type of downfall. It might seem selfish and it might seem, you know, degrading to the other person, but they don't know your situation fully. Hi, everybody. Juleka here. I'm the host and creator of How to Talk to Mommy and Papi About Anything. And I want to invite you to be on our show. If you're an adult and a child of immigrants from anywhere in the world, I'd love to talk to you about those conversations that are hard but necessary. Things about politics, dating, career, parenting. Seriously, no topic is off limits. Send us an email at hello at talktomommypoppy.com and let's get you on the show. That's hello at talktomommypoppy.com. See you soon. Hi, everybody. I'm Juleka Lantigua, the creator and executive producer of How to Talk to High Achievers About Anything. And I'd like to invite you to be a guest on the show. Every episode, we talk to black and brown folks striving to do big things and looking for ways to level up. Licensed psychotherapist Devon Lewis offers feedback about aspirational challenges we all face. Things like imposter syndrome, perfectionism, and especially how we define success. We'd love to hear about your triumphs and where you still trip up sometimes. Send our producer Virginia an email so she can get your story on the show. She's at virginia at lwcstudios.com. What's up, everybody? I'm Steve Ott Lewis, a licensed psychotherapist and host of How to Talk to High Achievers About Anything. I'm excited to share big news. How to Talk to High Achievers About Anything is back. This time, I'll be joined by a very special person, someone whose name you know very well. Hi, everybody. I'm Juleka Lantigua, founder of LWC Studios. Welcome, Juleka. I'm so excited. And by the way, I'll be taking notes. So many notes. As always, on the show, we get to hear stories from black and brown folks who are out there doing great and amazing things. Then I do my thing of offering some feedback and strategies to help us navigate personal and professional challenges. Together, we'll figure out how to achieve on our own terms. Subscribe to or follow How to Talk to High Achievers About Anything everywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. On Twitter and Instagram, you can follow the show at Talk to Achievers. I've seen these dynamics in my own family 
Leslie's awareness of the need to keep our own cups full is so powerful. But it can be at odds with the sense of family duty first gens often learn from our parents. To help us find some middle ground, I did what I always do. I called in an expert. My name is Catalina Fortich, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice in South Florida. And I specialize working with trauma and Latin men, women, couple, and families. What did you hear in Leslie's story? Well, I heard um, that she was definitely already on the other side uh as far as having learned a lesson in a very long road of lessons that, you know, sometimes we have to deal with in the Latin community, um, especially for first generations. And that lesson being, you know, those implicit messages of, you know, how love is sometimes coded with sacrifice and needs being selfish. You know, unfortunately, that is uh, maybe not something that our families want to explicitly share with us, but it's definitely in that familismo that we want to and value so much, right? But at the same time, has negative drawbacks too. I'm so glad you said familismo because we've talked about this before. So talk to us about the threads of familismo that you hear in Leslie's story, please. You know, familismo is a value that we have um, that we're very connected to as a Latin culture. Um, it's not only Latinos, it's also Asian Americans. So any collectivistic culture um, is going to have some values that are similar and overlap, like dedication and commitment and loyalty. There's a lot of shared time together. With that shared time and with those values, there's a, it's a two-sided coin. So there's positives to that and a lot of protective factors, but there's also drawbacks to that like sacrifice. Um, and sometimes that comes tied with what Leslie's talking about, which is that financial piece where we feel like we need to sacrifice even financially to support others and put others even before ourselves. Do you see this dynamic often when you work with your clients? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. The the it's almost like we think that our family members can hear us even in therapy because they will like apologize even before they're going to say something that they know is completely confidential. But it's so entrenched that they'll say, you know, this sounds horrible or this makes me sound selfish. But mm -hmm. and I always have to remind them, like, you know, it's just you and me here, you know, but it, for them, it's not like that. For them, it's I, this is so entrenched in me that my my parents internal internalized voice or my family's internalized voice lives within me, you know? So what do you, you know, advise your clients to do when they're encountering these situations where they're feeling like unduly put upon or like sacrifices are being made that really impact them negatively, but they also completely understand why it is that adults and parent parental figures are making those decisions. You know, something that stood out for me is when Leslie said, you know, at first it made sense, but then it didn't, right? So it made sense until mm -hmm. it didn't. And I think that by far we understand that family is important and we, we, 
do reap the benefits of that closeness. Um, and we do want to be giving and, and caring of, of our family members. But there comes a point where we even can start feeling, right? And, and usually it'll show up in an uncomfortable emotion like resentment or, you know, confusion or frustration or anger even. And when that emotion shows up, it's like, okay, there's a tipping point here where something no longer makes sense when that collective interest outweighs my individualism then it doesn't, it, you know, it, it's no longer beneficial. We move from helping others to being almost like in a state of, of helplessness, not, you know, not to say entirely helpless, but, you know, as a child, you are helpless because you don't have choice, you know, as an adult. Now it's recognizing that you do have choice and that you as a child, even though you didn't, now you can make choices of living life differently, even though your parents based on their lived experiences, what their values were, what they had to experience. They made their choices, but now you get to make choices for yourself. So Leslie definitely represents one aspect of that story. I, you know, I, her story to me is so familiar. One of my older cousins, she moved to the States um, in her late 20s. She worked incredibly hard. And then she opened up her own business. She was very successful. But 30 years later, she still doesn't own her own, her own house because she has spent so much of her income and the profits from her company supporting folks back home. And it is so painful sometimes to just watch her work so tirelessly to do that. And so let's talk about how other people who might be repeating patterns that they may have seen their parents, uh, you know, take on vis-a-vis -vis supporting families in their home countries, how can they recognize the hurtful patterns and, you know, start to do something about them? So, you know, first, I guess it's, it's just, do they want to change? Because in order to, to want that change, you're going to have to, make some decisions that are going to be uncomfortable for a lot of people, including yourself. Um, I think it's, it's also a matter of mindset of re recognizing that it's not selfish to self-protect. That's what I usually say. And so many mm -hmm. times we think being selfish mm -hmm. and absolutely humans have the capacity to be selfish, but in many instances, more often than not, they're not being selfish and they're self-protecting. And, you know, especially let's say your cousin has a family of her own If she chooses to, you know, start putting more of that money into her children, into her home, she's self-preserving for her future, for her children's future. And that's not selfish. Ooh, that word is so triggering because we learn to censor ourselves for fear of being branded selfish. Part of the immigrant mythology is the enormous sacrifice that parents make. And one of the things that... Another guest said early on when we, we started the show, she really actually stopped me in my tracks with that one because she said, yes, our parents came to this country, made great sacrifices for us, but this is something that they also wanted for themselves. They came for their own reasons too. And Absolutely. so can you and I unpack a little bit of that generational guilt that gets transferred that either keeps us silent 
or creates these expectations of self-sacrifice that sometimes can go to extreme. How to deal with the guilt, right? Yes. I think first, you know, how we deal with any uncomfortable emotion is, is, is normalizing it first and recognizing, okay, there's a backstory to why I feel this way. Um, mm. And not necessarily being like, oh, there's something wrong with me, but normalizing and validating, okay, this guilt has an origin. And then you move through it. There is this distinction that I often use with my clients of, you know, guilt is kind of a message of saying that, you know, the choices I've made are bad and shame is I am bad. And so we have Mm. to make that distinction because what we are ultimately saying when we say I'm selfish is that I am bad and versus, you know, absolutely. Again, we can make very selfish decisions that are self-serving, but because I have needs or because I have wants that are very human, that doesn't necessarily make me bad. Those messagings that we are telling ourselves and that we are perpetuating it generationally of you are bad to want things, you are bad to have needs. No, you have needs because you're human. Um, and I think that that was something that, you know, our, our ancestors, our grandparents didn't have access to. You know, they didn't have access to what we now know, the distinctions between these messages that we implicitly share, give ourselves and that our parents share with us. We have to recognize it before we can address it. And it's very coercive. Am I, if there is this need that I'm trying to meet, or there's a self-preservation that I'm trying to meet, then it's not I'm bad or even what I'm doing is bad. It's disconnecting that messaging with what with the behavior and how we're feeling. I love the way you put that. One of the short ways that people reference self-care, self-protection is to say, put your oxygen mask on first and then help the person next to you. And I very much feel like first gens like me, we had to learn that because we were absolutely taught the opposite. And so how can first gens continue to improve upon our ability to put on our oxygen masks first in other aspects of our lives? Yeah, I think it's, it's, we don't have to fight the values of of familismo. We don't have to fight it, right? Because that's the the, the conflict that we have. Mm -hmm. Like we, it's either individualism or it's this, right? But it can be a both and. What are the aspects of that commitment, dedication, loyalty, shared time, that value that we have? What can I keep from that? And what can I integrate with my new value of also thinking of myself and also of self-preservation and of self-advocacy, right? How can I integrate those two? Because, you know, it's and that's honoring what we have inherited from that. But we also honor the new things and the new values that we have as an individual, since we're talking about Leslie, right, um, and her and money, that's such an important piece. We can, we've got to live with that. I was very much raised by if you're going back to the mother country, which for me is Colombia, you do not go empty handed, <laughs> you know, like you go and you bear gifts and you share that with them. And that was something that was very important, very special. And I continue that tradition, but I'm not going to take more than I can afford. I'm not going to give 
more than I than I can give. So we have to be mindful of the fact that there's two sides to this. And it's amazing and great to be helpful and supportive. But the drawback, it, we have to set boundaries with that. And so I give as much as I can, but not to my not to my detriment. Catalina, thank you so much. As always, so much wisdom. No, you're welcome. Thank you so much for the invitation. All right, let's recap what we learned from Catalina. Heed your emotions. Feelings like resentment, frustration, even anger can signal that something about a situation makes you uncomfortable or unhappy. This is useful information, so pay attention to it. Drop the guilt. Self-preservation is not selfishness. Self-preservation is not selfishness. One more time for the people in the back. Self-preservation is not selfishness. Despite the messaging to the contrary we might have heard all our lives, you are not a bad person because you have needs and express them. You deserve to have your needs met. And remember, integrate your values. It doesn't have to be either or, this or that. You can be generous and supportive towards others and also self-preserving. You can advocate for yourself, for your wants and your needs while supporting others. Thank you for listening and thank you for sharing us. Thank you for writing to us and tweeting at us. We love hearing from you. How to Talk to Mommy and Papi About Anything is an original production of Lantigua Williams & Co. Virginia Lora is the show's producer. Kojin Tashiro is our mixer. Manuela Bedoya is our social media editor. I'm the creator, Juleika Lantigua Williams. On Twitter and Instagram, we're at Talk to Mommy Papi. Please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. Bye, everybody. Same place next week. <laughs>